from the highest point on campus and the hottest room in Seminole Sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. We are live on 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee and streaming online at wvfs.fsu.edu. I'm your now full-time host, Luke Hazen, and it is an honor to be coming to you live on another beautiful Monday and a very happy Memorial Day to everyone out there. Another amazing weekend of sports has come and gone, and there's a lot to get into as we try to break down the NBA and NHL playoffs, as well as previewing exactly what is in store for Florida State baseball as they head to the NCAA tournament, and what is in store for our women's softball team as they head to the Women's College World Series in Oklahoma City. But before we dive into all that, though, I want to bring on my always reliable co-host here, Brett Rutherford, who took the time to be here tonight on a, on a Memorial Day Monday. Brett, how are you doing, buddy? Listen, you don't have to. Like, I, I was going to be here anyways, no matter like, what's <laughs> going on. I got nothing else better going on. Um, but yeah, it was a great weekend. Uh, Chelsea, Champions League, Champions of Europe, once again, first time since 2012. Uh, so I am, I am absolutely buzzing. <laughs> and, and we're going to get into that a little bit, but, yeah. but I, I know you, you were at a watch party for... For Chelsea, how was that? Yeah, was, uh, we're at Tin Lizzie's, which is the current home of North Florida Blues, which is our official uh, Chelsea supporters group in Tallahassee. Um, we had like twenty plus people there, um, and yeah, it was really fun because we didn't get to have like most of the season. Like, obviously, couldn't meet up with like big groups like that. Um, unfortunately, Scott, who's one of our members, was not there. He was partying down in the Keys, um, <laughs> but still fun nonetheless. We Facetimed in Scott so we could celebrate with us at the final whistle and it was one of my favorite uh, probably my favorite memory as a soccer fan like ever so really great stuff all right good to hear uh, also joining us tonight is v89 panelist uh first time here in a while right alex alex to yeah it's probably my first time here in almost a year but um i've really been enjoying the nba playoffs since they've come back as nearly a single sport fan this is a big time of year for me so i'm really enjoying watching the lakers implode <laughs> great to have you on the show and li- listen man Zion will make it eventually to the playoffs. I know that for a fact. Eventually we'll be back. I believe in him more than Anthony Davis at this point. So hopefully uh, we got a next superstar on our hands. All right, good to hear. And then, of course, joining us is our producer, Scott, who who is on the panel here to, to talk a little bit of Chelsea in just a second with Brett. But, uh, Scott, I know Florida State uh, tennis fell in the Elite Eight this last weekend. Um, any observations, any takeaways from that? Uh, yes, so obviously with uh, kind of everything that happened, happened this year everything that kind of Florida State Athletics were dealing with it was amazing kind of the success that this team was able that the success that this team was able to accomplish I was there kind of firsthand being able to watch uh, Coach Hyatt Hyatt and these girls really kind of reach new heights with this program Uh, we the Florida State women's tennis finished with three All-Americans this year with Julia Perone in singles and then uh, Nandini Das and Andre Andrea Garcia and doubles and phenomenal year for them and congrats to Coach Hyde and the girls for everything they accomplished this year. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and going back to to Chelsea a little bit right now. I, admittedly, we don't talk a whole lot of soccer all the time here, except when talking about women FSU women's soccer. So I want to get the chance to to get inside the mind of of a uh, Champions League winner <laughs> in, in Chelsea. I, I don't follow it a lot. This was a completely new experience to me. So, Brett and Scott, what, what were your thoughts when you saw uh, Chelsea beat Man City well, for the championship? Well, real quick, you said you watched the game. It was on CBS proper, yep. not relegated to some streaming service or uh, CBS Sports Network. It was on CBS. What were your thoughts watching the game, not being a, a huge fan of, of Chelsea or the sport? Well, I thought the atmosphere with, with most of the fans being back in there, it was, it was crazy compared to, to, to any game back over here in the States. But also, I thought we were going to get Jim Nance and Tony Romo on the call. <laughs> I, was, I was waiting for them to pop in. But, but just a completely different experience than anything I've, I've seen 
here in the U.S. Um, it was crazy. Yeah, I, I think if I can sum up, and, 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 and Scott, I, I really want to hear what you have to say, too, because we didn't get to watch the game together. Um, Thomas Tuchel comes in. He was hired in, in January after Chelsea sacked a club legend in Frank Lampard, who had been at the helm for about a year and a half and, and done relatively well, but had struggled towards the end. Thomas Tuchel's come in and done one of the best coaching jobs that I've ever seen in such in a, such a short span. Um, really turned Chelsea into, in this competition, which similar to the NCAA tournament or you know certain playoffs that don't always end up with the 100% undisputed best team as champions, even though you could make that argument for Chelsea, um, but got them ready for the knockout stages of this tournament uh, to knock off Atletico Madrid, Porto, Real Madrid, and then Manchester City in succession. Um, for a one-off game in which Chelsea defended like madmen, um, just completely uh, did not let City create any chances in that game. It was the lowest expected goals total for Manchester City this entire season. Uh, was And I know Kevin De Bruyne went off injured, who is there, definitely the heartbeat of that team, um, but was one of the most impressive things that I've ever seen. Kai Havertz, the, the, big, the big money signing, uh, 21 years old, um, scores the winning goal, uh, Man, it was just it was absolute insanity on on Saturday. Oh yeah, it was it was definitely nuts. I was not able to be in Tallahassee this weekend, as uh, Brett previously mentioned. I was on my own in a nice condo in Key Largo, <laughs> but like it was really... watching the game. Though you still had to yeah. watch the game. Oh oh yeah, it was nuts. I was screaming and like I was screaming by myself in this place, and it was really awkward. But it was still it was amazing to watch because going into this game, I had no confidence whatsoever. And I was like, because, you know, we usually are a, or Chelsea FC have been a defensive juggernaut for a while, all season. But uh, going into this game, like, the goals needed to be scored. I kept wait, waiting. We were all kind of joking around, like, is this the is this the game where Werner finally sh- shows up for Chelsea? And it just, it just never happened. But <laughs> luckily we didn't need it because Kai Havertz came, came in 42nd minute and Chris. And Christian Pulisic, I think in that if he had scored that moment, if the ball would have been what two, three, three inches more yeah. to the right, I think those announcers might have just wet their pants because that would have been the moment that would have been replayed on Twitter, on YouTube, all over social media for weeks was an American player scoring in the Premier League for the first time. Yeah, getting and, getting that goal like it would have been the second goal to put the game you know out of reach for City. Instead, we had to suffer through those last few minutes. Really cool to see Pulisic come off the bench there. I know like a lot of people wanted him to start. Havertz kind of started in his place and scored the winning goal, so you can't fault Tuchel for that. Great pass from Mason Mount, who's been Chelsea's best player and will probably be the club captain for the next, you know, up to 10 seasons. Um, the other thing I want to put, because we don't got to spend too much time on this, he was such a great game, um, N'Golo Kante, who was the man of the match, not only in both legs of the um, semifinal against Real Madrid, uh, but was the man of the match here. And with this performance, I think the odds makers agree with me, but I think he vaulted himself to the top of the um, list for the Ballon d'Or winners for 2021, which is given to the world's best player in that given year. He's going to go to the Euros to play with France. If he (laughs) plays even up to what we expect out of him, I think he is the favorite to be the Ballon d'Or winner. Chelsea's never had a Ballon d'Or winner in their club history. I think N'Golo Conte, who is the best midfielder in the world right now, kind of put himself on the top of that list. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, I think it's definitely possible. Personally, I think he would need to have a really good showing at the Euros this summer, which is very possible. France are going to be a really good team that are gonna go that should go pretty deep in this tournament. So he'd have plenty of time time to do that. But I'm just 
uh, going back to what you were saying earlier, N'Golo Conte was just incredible. Definitely taking advantage of being really the only defensive midfielder out there in that game and just being able to kind of dominate that whole pitch. But, I mean, to show up and play like that in a final and then go home with a trophy, like what else can you ask for? He's a player that nobody can hate. You see the kind of way he celebrates. And, you know, when when France won the World Cup in 2018, one of his teammates had to – Ask one of the, the other group of teammates that were celebrating with the trophy to let N'Golo take a picture and have his moment with it. Uh, just a humble guy, and to see him, he's won everything now. You know, uh, Europa League, Premier League, uh, Champions League, World Cup. He's, he's won every trophy there is to win, uh, and one of the, my favorite player like, ever. So, yeah, great stuff. Yeah, absolutely, a, a sight to see, especially for a lot of Chelsea fans here at the at the station. I know I, I was tuning in to see how you guys would react if you won, and also maybe <laughs> how you lost. lost. <laughs> just pure entertainment, either way for me, but. Pivoting from that one-off playoff between Chelsea and Man City to the NBA playoffs, which are currently underway midway through the first round. Some of the series, however, have already ended, like the Bucks did to the Miami Heat down in South Beach this last weekend. We'll start there with the with the series that, that has already wrapped up. Alex, I want to get your opinion after that absolute dominating three-game stretch by the Bucks after a close game one. Um, coming off of a season last year where the Heat kind of surprised everyone by taking it to the Bucks in five games, what... What changed for, I guess, both of these teams this year for the Bucks to, to absolutely dominate four-game sweep over the same Miami Heat team? Right, so I've been looking a lot online, and I see a lot of people kind of referring to the Miami Heat as uh, bubble frauds, if you will. But um, I don't necessarily think that's the case. I just think they have a lot of reliance on a lot of young players who weren't able to show up for the spotlight. Um, it's kind of hard to see where the Miami Heat go from here. I have a large feeling that uh, Pat Riley will probably move on from some of these younger players. It looks like they need to make a splash in the free agent market, and I think that's what they'll go out and try to do this summer. Earlier in the year, there was talk about trying to get James Harden or something for Tyler Harrow, and they were a little reluctant to do that. Probably looking out, it was the bad thing to do. <laughs> but it's so just about. It's yeah. so silly when you like put it. They're like, oh yeah, they had to include Tyler Hero with some of the draft picks that it would have taken to get James Harden, and they didn't want to do that. It's like. I don't think they were bubble frauds, but they definitely, that team last year definitely had something. They caught fire in the bubble, which is not a bad thing. You know, like they went on a run that no one expected them to go on. No one expected them to beat the Bucks in five games. Yeah, you hope they put out a better showing this year. They get swept. But ultimately, like, yeah, that's what you'd expect the team that was built like that to do. You don't expect them to go to the NBA Finals every year. Now the question is, like you said for Pat Riley, what's next? Right, and I think Milwaukee looks like the real deal, so I don't think it's anything to go out and, and say that like the Miami basketball team's burning down to the ground. Uh, it, for all we know, the, you know, the Bucks might go on and win the Eastern Conference. Uh, it's just one of those things, they didn't look like they were ready this season, and Jimmy Buckets, you know, when he's locked in, he's locked in, and it just didn't seem like he was that way this playoffs. Right, there were so, there were so many names out there for the Miami Heat, James Harden being one, Bradley Beal another, and then they actually do make the trade for Oladipo, and he's out for the entire postseason, he can't play for him, he can't contribute for him. But I look at the acquisitions made by Milwaukee this last offseason, with Drew Holiday absolutely lights out in this series, I think he had the, the best plus-minus uh accumulated through the four games of, of any Bucks player, like over 90 or something like that. It was it was insane how much he contributed more than Eric Bledsoe did last year. And then guys like P.J. Tucker, just glue guys that, that provide a, an upgrade over who they had last year, um, I think made all the difference in the world. I thought the Bucks were a better team last year than Miami Heat. I did um, too, and like you look, they, they won that game four and Giannis gets hurt. And everyone says, like, oh, once it's 3-0, the series is over. They made it 3-1. If Giannis played in Game 5, there's a good chance they make it 3-2, and that series might not have been over. Injuries aren't an excuse. You can't avoid injuries. They're part of the game. 
Um, but I think, yeah, I, I definitely think they were the better team then. Quick question for, for both of you guys or everybody yeah. here. Uh, rapid fire, real quick, without like going into the playoffs, who, who did you have as your NBA champion? Alex, you want to get yeah, no, I, I had the uh, the Clippers going on to win. Um, I'm not feeling great about that right now, but I, I, I okay, think wait, there's that's, still that's a my shot. next question. So hold hold up, hold on hold on to that one, Sebastian. What was yours? Who'd you have winning it? And Utah winning it. Utah. I, I had for the second straight season. I had Bucks over Clippers. Bucks, Bucks over Clippers. So again. Clippers, Jazz, uh, Buck, uh, Bucks. Yeah. How is how's that answer changed, and who has it changed now, at this point in the in the playoffs? Um, so I was the one that had the Clippers first. Uh, right now I'm leaning a little more towards uh, Brooklyn. But uh, it's just that the Clippers have come out and they've kind of looked a little flat early on to the Dallas Mavericks. I've liked the way they looked in the last two uh, games where they've won and come out and really played defense the whole way through. Uh, yeah. So I'm not completely going back on that. But right now I'm thinking Brooklyn looks like the strongest team. When their stars go off, I think they have the best chance of beating anyone in these playoffs. Right. So I, th- I think so much of the NBA, that w- what we talk about in terms of keys to the game sometimes is how how much are you getting out of your stars at time? Can you operate at maximum efficiency, at maximum potential come playoff time? And for so many of these teams, we have seen them operate max potential, and that's why we're picking them to win. Like I think the Bucks, when they're at their best, are, are so cohesive that they can beat anyone in the entire league. The one team that we haven't seen that out of so far this series up until about the second quarter of Game 3 were the Los Angeles Clippers against the Mavericks. But when they clamp down on Luka the way that that Batum and Kawhi can can sort of double team him and and keep him at bay. There's not really another difference maker on this Mavs team unless Porzingis is playing out of his mind, which for most of the time he isn't. There's not another difference maker that I think the, that can rise above and 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 help Luka out against the Clippers. Ultimately, though, um, Kawhi Leonard's performance uh, was it last night or the night before? It was last, last night. Yeah, last night. You're 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 betting that Kawhi Leonard can play like Jordan for four straight games, and I don't think he can do that. Um, I just don't think that level of production is sustainable, even for someone who is an elite playoff um, player like Kawhi Leonard. I don't, I don't think it's sustainable. So just going past this Mavs, uh, Mavs series, I don't even have them beating the Mavs. Uh, for me personally, you, I had Utah beating Brooklyn in in seven, but even then I'm not sure, just because Brooklyn stars for me are made out of balsa wood. Like they're amazing. When they're out, out on the court together, is inspired basketball. Uh, they rolled Boston last night by 20. Boston are a mess. Boston right. are a mess. I, I don't think any of us thought that Boston was going to somehow rise above and beat the, the big three in, in Brooklyn. But when you hang, like hang 40, uh, 140 on anybody in the right. league in the playoffs, that is playing inspired basketball. Yeah. Right. I think that's why, that's why uh, Alex, you picked Brooklyn to go to to the NBA Finals, right? Like, right. They, they are another team. I think the, the top three in problem the with, East. The problem with Brooklyn, though, is like what I'm saying is is they you you watch them play that, but the second somebody goes down, it could be anybody on Brooklyn. You're like, is this guy actually going to be out for like two games? Right, but I, I they think... they always go down hard. It's ridiculous. I, I think if, okay, if, they, if, if, if KD goes down, yeah, Brooklyn's in big trouble, but they can be without a, even a Harden. They could go without him. Kyrie goes down, I think Harden can be your main ball handler. You can still win. I think... This next series against Milwaukee, um, that Brooklyn will have to play. I think the winner of that is where you could see your NBA champion emerge. Right. I the, agree. Yeah, I, I want to bring up a good point because we, we talk about uh, maximize your potential like that. One team, I'm not sure that we've seen the best out of. I don't know what their potential is, but the 76ers, they've been the best team all season long in the East, and they're up three games to none against the Wizards right now, and I still don't have a good feel 
about how they would fare against the team like Brooklyn, like Milwaukee. Or like Milwaukee. What do you think? The, the thing about the East, and it's kind of why I asked you guys that question, like has yeah. your answer changed on who you think is going to be the NBA champion? It's, in my opinion, looking at the, the, the first round in the East before this, this playoff started, I thought there was a clear favorite in each. Even even New York Atlanta. I thought Atlanta was just clearly better than the Knicks at this point in time. Mm. The second round is going to be very, very interesting. I think Philly can handle Atlanta. It's assuming Atlanta gets through. They're up three to one now. Yeah. Um, Milwaukee and Brooklyn is very I have interesting. No idea. It's like Philly play, is playing a Washington team who, yeah, they're playing their best basketball right now, but it's still not good enough in the playoffs. Like Sebastian said, we're usually getting these defensive matchups, even though that Philly Washington series has been super high scoring. Like that's not really a test for for the 76ers. That's not. And you're going to get a great series between Milwaukee and Brooklyn. It's probably going to go six or seven. And who, like I just said, who like that's going to be the talk of the league in the in talk of the playoffs. Whoever wins that series, and it's like, oh wow, they just got through either Brooklyn got through Milwaukee and Milwaukee got through Brooklyn, and then they got to turn around and, and play Philadelphia. Philly. And Philly, maybe they handle Atlanta really quickly. Might be well rested and, and ready to beat one of those teams. So, all like is the East better than the West right now? Or at least more top heavy, the top team. Absolutely, in the East. I, I've said it. I think the last time that we talked about NBA to to this degree on the show was like three weeks ago. And three weeks ago, I, I told you that the East, the championship runs to the East. Everybody's too hurt in the West at that point in time. Everybody was too hurt in the West um, for that to be the case. I still have the West winning the championship, which is interesting. Um, but it's like you say, Brett. Like there's three three teams in the East at the very like in the going to the second round that their full expectation for the season is to win the championship. I don't think you can really say the same for the West. Go ahead. Yeah, it's almost weird because the top of the East seems like so top heavy. It, there's a bunch of heavy hitters in here, and then we look at the top of the West. None of us mentioned Utah. None of us mentioned Denver or even Phoenix in that matter. So it, it, we're clearly leaning more towards these Eastern Conference teams. But I think looking at Philly, and the main issue of a Philly is that there's a bunch of people who are who have played in the playoffs before, but they've never really shown like they were going to make it very far, were ever going to like make a run at the championship. Even when Kawhi Leonard hit that dagger, that just seemed like the end of them for good. I don't. Th- I, I would disagree. I mean, that was a Game 7 situation. Right. And it's like you're. that's an overtime that that team still has had a chance going into overtime. It's uh, like the if you're if the difference between you and finals basketball is a shot, then I don't think that you can say, well, "Oh, well, like that they, they clearly had no chance." Well, this is the Clippers series from last year? No, this is the 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 Sixers um 2 years ago. 2 years ago well, against Kawhi Toronto. Leonard. I'm sorry, I had a brain <laughs> Toronto. Uh, yeah, I just think the reason why we're we're still a little weary on Philadelphia is cuz I I don't think we've seen Ben Simmons kind of gain our trust to the point where we, we trust him with the ball in his hands in a late-game situation. It's always going to go to Embiid. And, and but I think Tobias so, Harris has played the best basketball of his career. That is true. He's played the best that he has like played true, while he's in Philly. They're a true big three now. One, 100%. But the last time we saw the Sixers team in the playoffs was last year, and they got bounced by Boston in the first round. So until – I think I need to see them – flex a little bit against Atlanta or New York or whoever comes out of that. If they struggle with their second-round matchup heading into a series against Brooklyn, against Milwaukee, that's going to cause a little bit of concern. In my there, there's not a team, though, whether it be Milwaukee or Brooklyn, that's assuming they face one of those teams in the conference finals. I, I can't confidently say the Philly is going to lose that. Like, you could say, okay, yeah. maybe, yeah, maybe you favor Brooklyn or maybe you favor Milwaukee, yeah. but you think you would probably pick that it goes six or seven games. They're going to be a game or two away from playing in the NBA Finals. And so, yeah, you're not. Gonna, I'm not going to sit here and put my money on on the 76ers to go all the way, but they're going to be in it. They're not going to get walked over by any of these teams. And it's like Alex said, a question of like, do they have that? 
Can they hit that next level? Because they're playing amazing basketball right now. You could say that they were the best team in the regular season all year long. But do they have that that next level? Can they put it into gear once they get past not these early series? It's you know it's going to be a tough series against Atlanta most likely. But once they get into the conference finals, once they get to a game six or game seven, can they get over that that hump? Right, and talking about getting over another hump in another series like that, Phoenix and Los Angeles. I want to get you guys' read on what's going on there because it seemed after Game Three, when Los Angeles took a two to one series lead, that things were kind of coming back towards the median for the Los Angeles Lakers and that their stars were starting to take over. AD was actually really, really phenomenal in Game 3, and, and they took that. I didn't think that Phoenix had a shot after that, after the way they looked in Game 3, but then Game 4 rolls around. Phoenix gets back in the series two games apiece with a 192 win over the Los Angeles Lakers. Where do we go from here? That's the question I'm asking, Sebastian. So Phoenix-LA is a really interesting matchup because I think a lot of people are affected by almost like an inverse recency bias where you are so you associate with the Suns, with the Suns of, let's call them the Suns of old, uh, the Suns that haven't been very good over the past 12 or so years since Nash left. Um, so if you were to take like hive the numbers and tell tell people, hey, what's this matchup? Oh, it's the two seed L.A. Lakers versus the seven seed Suns. But these Suns have been very very good. All this this these Suns were on top of the West for the back half of the season, um, up until you know it was snatched away. I think at the last day of the regular season by Utah. Um, it really be, the first four games have been a question of is Chris Paul hurt? If Chris Paul is hurt, then this L uh, this L.A. team is going to run away with it. If uh, Chris Paul can still find a way to be effective while uh, managing an injury, then it's a whole new ball game, and that's I think that's what I think we're seeing. It's a split series, uh, both home and away for both teams. Um, both teams have won two games in both uh, arenas, so it's not really a matter of oh, you know, the, uh, the Suns can't hang in the in the Staples Center or the other way around for for LA. Um, I think it's mentality. It boils down to mentality, and it's funny that we say that because. Uh, LeBron is the ultimate, you know, you never bet against LeBron in the playoffs, ever, no question. I don't, he's not, for me, he's not the greatest player of all time, um, but he, he's, you still, I would still never bet against him. So if you, if you tell me, like, who you got for the rest of the series, I'm probably going to tell you LA. Mm. Now, uh, and, and on the inverse of that, you know, Chris Paul is a guy who hasn't really been, like, hasn't taken that next step in the playoffs, you know, he's never, he's always been the, the bridesmaid and never the bride. Um, in, in the playoffs. So it's interesting that I'm taking the same position while also understanding the, the contradictions that I'm flying into uh, if we look at history. The, the one thing I think that Phoenix has going for him is the fact that Chris Paul, and I can't, I'm, you know, I'm not a medical expert, I'm not close to the Suns, he seems to be on the incline from his injury. I, I don't think it's hindering him as much as it was in games, two, or games one, two, and three. Meanwhile, for the Lakers... Anthony Davis goes down with another injury. We don't even know if he's going to be available for Game 5 in Phoenix with a, a groin injury. So sometimes it's an ankle, a shoulder, a calf injury. It's it's whatever. This time it's a groin. Alex, how on earth, or if you're a Lakers fan or in your experience as a Pelicans fan, how on earth do you keep having faith in Anthony Davis to, to play a healthy two games in a row? So what I'll say, watching a bunch of Pelicans games while Anthony Davis was there, is that he was injured all the time. Like <laughs> once every, like once every month, he was going down for like a week at a time. It, it was it was awful to watch. But what I will say is, lately he has proven that he can be healthy with the Lakers, and I don't think it's really like something to to like get too hung up on. But it, it is because the, the, you know we're in a dire situation now, and 
really what's going to come down to in the series is whatever team's hit the healthiest down the line, right? We, we have Anthony Davis probably going down next game. They say that he's day-to-day, but honestly, I, I think a groin injury is usually like a three- to five-week thing where people sit out. I, I feel like I remember LeBron going down two years ago with the same injury and being out for like a month, a month and a half, that kind of thing. So I just think whoever's the healthiest going down the line is going to win this series. And if Anthony Davis is out, I think the Suns are going to take him. So the first year of the Laker-LeBron project was the year that he went down with a groin injury and he was out for basically the back half of the season, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Lakers flame out in the back half of the season and they don't even get close to sniffing the playoffs. Um, A groin injury, like you said, Alex, is a big problem. Um, Now these are the playoffs and the expectation is to go back-to-back in L.A. Uh, Anthony Davis will do his damnedest to play. Um, but depending, like you said, on the severity of that injury, it's it's going to be another hell for him to deal with on top of all the injuries. He just gets beat up a lot. Um, another superstar in the NBA that's made out of balsa wood, um, if you ask me. Now, um, I want to go back to one last thing about mentality. And it's that um, after missing a crucial uh, layup, or after Den- watching Dennis Schroeder uh, miss a crucial layup uh, at the very end of Game 4, uh, LeBron just kind of hangs his head in... The uh, in the paint. Except the one where he starts walking back. Yeah, he starts walking back. And he's only seven points down. If there's anybody who can score or who can generate seven points for his team, either by assists or direct scoring, I would say it's LeBron James. And he just decides to fold in a in a close enough game with a minute to go. Yeah, that, I, that, that can't happen. Like, I, there are enough veterans on this team that, like, mentality and body language shouldn't matter, but it very clearly does for the Lakers. Right, but you look at the veterans on the team, you know, guys, guys like Andre Drummond, they, they aren't known for winning anything. Like, you say there are veterans on the team, but not a whole lot of them have that sort of winning mentality enough that, that dude, the Lakers Enough dudes are, were on the team last year to know what it takes to win a championship, bubble or not. Uh, you got dudes like KCP, you got Caruso. Like, these dudes are still on the team, and they should know, like, what it takes to, to win and how hard it is. And if you just give up on a seven-point game with a minute and 30 to go, you're not winning the game. Right. You're I, not I, winning any series. Right. I think the, the, the problem with Anthony Davis, it's not that he's he's – frequently injured it's the fact that he is constantly trying to rebound from those injuries by playing games in which he is not at 100 percent uh capacity i completely agree and, and he is a, he is a negative presence on the court he another game before he went out with a groin injury he was two of nine for a plus minus of minus eight he was not a factor if anything at the worst he was a negative factor for the lakers in the game uh, brett let me get your opinion on this like should they sit him out for multiple games I mean, I, I don't know what to do. With I him. mean, if, if he's healthy, if, if if he feels he can go to where he's not going to injure himself further, then yeah, he has to play. It's a play. Like they're yeah. two games away from getting bounced, and Phoenix is more than good enough to do that. I think whoever wins Game Five will win this series. I think it's going to be hard for a team, either of these teams, to win a Game Six and a Game Seven if they go down three two. The Lakers, and they're capable of doing it, and LeBron is more than capable of doing it. Need to play the Phoenix Suns game. The Phoenix Suns play. A very distinct brand of basketball. They control the tempo. They're one of the slowest teams, if not the slowest team in the NBA this year in terms of pace. Um, a very strong defensive game. And you've seen how low scoring these games are compared to the rest of the <laughs> Look at Philly-Washington. Like, Look at the uh, Memphis-Utah series, these super high-scoring uh, contests. Phoenix and L.A. aren't doing that. If L.A. can slow the game down, I think they're – look at Jay Crowder. How many minutes – like, Jay Crowder's minutes have gone up every game. And he he finally put together a good performance in, in game four. Was six for 12 of shooting. You know, he'd he been getting some rebounds. flack for his performances in games one through three. A but lot the of... man was not shooting. Like, he could no. not shoot. He even kept putting up shots. 
Uh, there are other guys that I would personally, if I was coaching the South, I would give more minutes to. Dario Saric didn't even play in Game 4. Frank Kaminsky. These are guys that I think could take some of those Crowder minutes, uh, and but there's no indication that that's going to happen. The Lakers can, can like, if Crowder goes back to the form he had in the first three games, like, the Lakers will find a way to win this series. I, I do think Jay Crowder gives you something. I mean, you know, seven rebounds, four assists. He, he, but he is nothing a, on defense. Right. That's, they've that's, got guys on that team that can that can add to that. And this is going to be a hard, like, there could be a game or another game in this series or another couple games in this series where neither team gets the triple digits. And if, like, <laughs> if the Suns go back to that poor shooting, because they, they shot the ball okay and pretty well in game four, the Lakers will take advantage of that, and they will find ways to win this. But, yeah, I'm just going to say whoever wins game five probably takes takes the series in either six or seven. If you're feeling confident, Brett, final minute here, you know, we're not going to know the, the, the outcomes of these series uh, until the next show. So I want to quickly get you guys kind of like a rapid fire prediction All the series or just here. this one? Yeah, give me give me Suns-Lakers. Suns, uh, I'll take the Lakers. Alex? Uh, I'll take the Suns in seven. Lakers in seven. Lakers in seven. Never bet against LeBron. Lakers in seven. I got, I got Suns in six. I I think Anthony Davis, it's a huge problem. Mm. Um, Clippers-Mavs. Uh, that series 2-2. Two, two, yeah. uh, uh, Clip, uh, Clippers in six. They win the next two. I'll take Clippers in six. If Luka can get over his injury... Dallas in seven. Ooh, wow! I, I I have Clippers in six. I think that the series has has clearly shifted towards towards the Clippers. Real, real quick, even when Luca was at maybe the best that, uh, form of his career uh, last season, the Clippers couldn't beat them. So are the, the Mavericks going to beat, beat the, Clippers. the Clippers? Yeah. So I think this year it's just like it's going to be too big of a heap to overcome. All right. Do we think the the Jazz close it out against the Grizzlies? I know they're up two one. They're playing tonight. They win the four. next two. They Jazz in five. Yeah. I think I'm going to go Jazz in six. Love the character in Memphis. I mean, for me, they're like the standout team in the West in terms of like how impressed I am at the end of the season, but I still have uh, Utah taking it in five games. And I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say Utah, Utah in five. I mean, game game one was really, really fluky in my opinion, and they, they've, they've dominated the last two games. And then final one that's still sort of up in there, uh, Trailblazers, Denver. You got to read on that for me, Brett? Mm, man, I really thought Denver. Even I know they don't have Jamal Murray, who I think is not as good as people give him. Uh, he's he's a, he's a great player. I won't go into detail on that. Um, I'll take Denver in seven. This goes to distance. I, I believe in Denver. I really think Jokic can take him. He's the MVP. I'm gonna go Denver in seven. I think they still got a lot to figure out in Portland. That, that team needs a, a little more just just to get over the hump. That is the first round. I got Denver in six. Yeah. Going into this series, I thought you know the the fact that that Portland had three four ball handlers over over the Nuggets that um in just Jokic, I, I thought that they would clearly have an advantage there, but it's completely shifted in my opinion. I, I have uh, Denver in seven. I have Denver in seven. All right, well that will wrap up the first half of the show. We are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will talk. We will be talking all FSU news. All right, we are back here on Tomahawk Talk. I'm joined by Brett Rutherford and Sebastian Angeliano. We we left off talking about the NBA, but I quickly want to shift to Florida State softball. Huge, huge series against LSU down in Baton Rouge, uh, the LSU Super Regional. Florida State wins it two nothing in the in the series, including a walk off hit to win it four to three in Game Two to advance to the fourth co- uh, women's college World Series under this current tenure and eleventh all time. Um, Brett. What were your initial thoughts after seeing this this women's team? Oh, it brought back the the where the series was played, the way the series kind of went down, brought back so many memories from when baseball um, uh, won the super regional there a couple of years back. 
uh, extra innings. You look at the fight that the, the, the Florida State softball team had in game two. It was incredible. They scored one run in innings six, seven, eight, and nine to win the, the game and, and take the series in extra innings. Incredible stuff. Um, was it TJ Hushmanzada's niece was playing for LSU in that series? <laughs> yeah. That was kind of weird to see, but cool to see. Um, but ultimately, just another testament to Coach Lonnie Alameda and what she's done with that program to punch another ticket to the Women's College World Series, go back to Oklahoma City. Um, I, I don't know what the chances are of this team winning it all like they did a few years ago, but if Catherine Sandercock pitches as, as well as she's done in this postseason, I think they've definitely got a chance. Yeah, you, you said it reminded you of, of the baseball team down in Baton Rouge. I, I I go back to 2018 when we were on this show. We Coming off the, their national championship season, yeah. it, it seems like based off the team that they brought back, that they would have made it a couple more times. Obviously, last year got canceled, but 2019 ended in disappointment. It's so nice to see them rebound with this. Um, just an incredible series. Uh, Sebastian, you... Yeah. I, Liz Mason, that home run, because um, LSU took, takes the lead in extra innings in Game 2 in the 8th. Uh, and then Liz Mason comes up, and Florida State's down to their last out. I know that wasn't the walk-off, um, but that's going to be, I think, the memory similar to the play in the Women's College World Series, diving play at third base. Like That's going to be one of those moments, even if they don't go on and, and win another natty, that moment right there is going to, I think, live for a long time in, in Florida State history. And, and, and just great pitching between Arnold and Watson. Um, Sydney Sherrill, is, is, I see her as, as, as the leader of this team, the third baseman. Um, this is like this, these softball teams are always just so much fun to root for, um, and Baton Rouge in general. I think there's not be, no matter what the sport is, not a better college sports environment in the country. Like I was there in baseball, where it was a packed house, um, and I've never been to a super regional game in Tallahassee. I I can't say what it's like, um, but I can't imagine that there's many atmospheres in college baseball and softball that that rival what they're able to do in Baton Rouge. You could feel it watching on TV. I'm in their softball stadium. There was a couple fans that you could. There was a fan, uh, an older gentleman, an LSU fan that was like right behind home plate. That when they would show the close up of the batter in the batter's box, you could just see him constantly yelling at the umpire, which is like, all right, you do you. But in terms of like the atmosphere, um, first off, it's great to see crowds back. Uh, just to, you can you can just it, it's such a different viewing experience, uh, especially at the college level. Um, yeah, it's, it was a great atmosphere, and I can't believe it's. I couldn't believe when when baseball won two games there, two from two, and for softball to do the same thing, it's just it's ominous. It, it's, it's ominous in a way. There is in 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 baseball, and it's like I don't always like I always I don't always believe in like these like it felt supernatural like what baseball did to get through Athens and then to get through Baton Rouge and then to win a couple games or to win a game in Omaha, like something that just kept keeping them alive. And this softball team, like this, isn't the best softball team Florida State has had. But they're going back to Oklahoma City one way or another, and it's like that, that performance in Game Two was just—it was just gritty, really, really gritty in the biggest game of their year. And I think that yeah. that was, it was just awesome to see. It, it says a lot, you know. If they, if they go down in that game and it, it's one to one in Baton Rouge against number seven LSU, I I start to get a little nervous. But the fact that they were able to sort of stomp on LSU's neck and, and win that second game in the fashion that they did, I think speaks a lot to to how this team has has come back after a year off. Um, and and sort of risen to expectations. Yeah, they would have had one more game to do it if they had lost. But it's yeah. like we felt it. Yeah. If you if you talk to those of us that were in Mountain Rouge, like we felt it. If baseball had lost that game too, which it, I really was convinced that they were going to, 
game three, you all, you go in with with zero confidence. You're you're on the road. You've given the momentum back to them. It's a three game series, so it's like the, that momentum swings so quickly. They had to fight so hard to win game one, and softball did too. It was a one nothing victory. If you lose game two. I don't even show up for game three. Like, and it looked like they were going to lose game yeah. two right here. That, that Just an incredible job sort of picking away at LSU. You have to, to win that game. In a super regional on the road, that's such a tough environment because it's not like you get to come to Tallahassee for one of these three games. You're on the road in a true road environment, which I won't claim to know what other road environments are like in college softball, but I, like I said, I don't think there's many better than what I saw in Baton Just sports weekend. in general, the, the, the gravity seems to be, especially in, in football as well, but we don't have to talk about football, the gravity in Baton Rouge, it seems to be a little denser, a little a little more serious. Yeah, definitely, and it, it made me it made me want to go on the road again for another either college baseball or softball uh, postseason series, and I, I, kind of, I, kind of, I guess that kind of brings us to... Uh, Florida State baseball are going to Oxford. Absolutely, you're you're absolutely right. So a disappointing weekend for Florida State baseball on on, the fa- on face value, with the way that they showed up in the ACC tournament. They lose to Duke. They re- they rebounded. And they 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 beat Miami in a consolation in a consolation game. I know we weren't all that thrilled to to see them to even see them win against Miami. But but just your opinion on on how they performed this weekend. Uh, yeah, the performance against Duke was just. It just didn't get off to a good start. The ACC tournament's weird because so in college in college baseball, you your starting pitchers are for the most part on a seven day rotation. They pitch every seventh day. Parker Parker Messick is the team's ace, and he pitches every Friday. He did that throughout the season. If the season started or if the series started on a Thursday or a Saturday, like you had to, you wanted him pitching Friday. And so when you start the ACC tournament earlier in the week, he's not going in that first game. And I know they like they've been very cautious with his innings. Um, Bryce Hubbard really struggled out the gates. Um, Duke took an early lead, and at that point, conference tournaments, like, you know you're already going to the national tournament. It's just really hard to get motivated, I think. Like, you go down so many runs, and it's like, well, you know, we're going to get, we're going to have to play a whole other game after this. That's not even going to matter, which also is like, I think the ACC, I don't really know what other conferences do for their baseball tournaments. There needs to be a change in format there. Like, the group stage format, when they're when all these teams have other stuff to play for after this, they should not have to be playing games that literally like there's no chance of them advancing in afterwards. It's 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 pointless. Yeah, I I, I 100% agree with you. I, you know, at best for if you're Florida State baseball, you're looking at maybe hosting a regional going into it. So I I also wonder what the motivation is there. Yeah, yeah. like at this point, it's like the the they they weren't in the uh, list of 20 schools that were hosting regionals that oh, was yeah. been narrowed down to 16. So it's like you weren't even playing for. Like another win that could potentially get you a national seat. Not that Florida State was in that conversation, anyways. But even going into the tournament, it's like, yeah, they weren't gonna like. Okay, they weren't gonna be a national seed. They weren't gonna be a team that is playing for a chance to host, which is always like, like a point of pride. And also, you get that home field advantage that Florida State has had so many times in their now forty-four um, straight years in the postseason, longest streak in the country by far. Uh, and yeah, that's just, like the ACC tournament. I watched. It was like a 11 a.m. or, or noon start on yeah. last Tuesday or Wednesday, and it's like I tuned in, but it, there was just no energy. There was no reason to get up for it, especially without Messick on the mound. You, you know, yeah. you you want your bell cow going in, in a game to open up a huge tournament like that, and and the fact that he was unable to go because it starts on a Wednesday sort of just deflates the balloon even even more for this Florida State team. But looking ahead now, they get placed in the Oxford Regional. Mm-hmm. They will play Southern Miss on Friday at 3 p.m. I want to get your initial read on on their chances because I know you also, Brett. You were 
you were sort of planning to make a trip down there, so I want to. I'm you still know, considering. Is it, it. worth, in your opinion, is it worth it for to go down there to see this Florida State team? Uh, I definitely think it's worth it. I mean, <laughs> I mean, like, because I'm definitely considering it myself. It's a seven and a half hour drive from Tallahassee. Hotel prices aren't that crazy in Oxford, Mississippi. Um, I haven't looked at tickets or potential credentials to cover the series, but this is a tough, tough uh, bracket to be put in if you're Florida State. Southern Miss coming out of Conference USA. They've played against some of the better teams in the country, Louisiana Tech. They had a game against Mississippi State. They had a game against Alabama, all teams that are in the tournament. And, and Louisiana Tech's a, a national seed. They are going to be ready for Florida State, and this first game is not a given. You're going to have Parker Messick, who was the ACC Pitcher of the Year, was one of the best pitchers in college baseball this year. Uh, he's going to be ready to go. I, I like Florida State's chances, um, but it's not going to be a walk through the park, and then uh, you're ultimately going to have to get through through Ole Miss as well at some point um, to to advance to a super regional, which is probably going to be played in Tucson or maybe Stillwater, Oklahoma. Um, but yeah, definitely definitely going to be a fun group of four between uh, Ole Miss, Florida State, Southern Miss, and Southeast Missouri State. Um, so definitely worth going if you can. Yeah, and, and a tall task in, in Ole Miss as well, who was coming off. They they went to the semifinal in the SEC tournament yeah. against Arkansas. So also tough there. I think the one thing you look look at for this team more than pitching more than anything else is can the bats stay alive for one weekend uh, that's what I, that's all i point towards if can they get enough clutch hitting from their their players that have been there all se- season long can they get them to to wake up for uh, at least another series in order to advance yeah you're gonna need home runs from matt yeah. nelson you're gonna need home runs from elijah cabell you're gonna need tyler martin to get on base at a 500 clip like you're gonna need every like for it's a tall we, task yeah. like we've seen four state play at their best and they are one of the best teams in the country but they haven't had that consistency this year and i think that's kind of what they struggled with the last three or four years um but yeah if they come out hot they could easily win this regional and in advance and get one step closer to omaha but it's definitely like for, for someone that's not a college baseball fan you might see oh southern miss uh, you know, they, the Ole Miss is going to be tough, but they, they they have a good shot here. It's going to be it's going to be tough. Yeah. Well, moving on from FSU baseball, I, you know, wrapping up the you know the the last quarter of the show here, I wanted to get a little Memorial Day wellness check. We did this a couple weeks ago for for Major League Baseball, but I think a lot of the times when us baseball fans we we sort of look at how our teams are faring and and how they project closer towards the the middle of the dog days of summer, I think we look at Memorial Day as a huge huge date there to see how exactly our cha- our teams are doing how they project to do uh, in the standings so Brett do you do you have a team in mind that you you uh you're looking at that could not only is faring well right now but that could sort of ascend later on in the season for major league baseball uh well i guess we could start with the race we could turn this into a raise your voice podcast the, the, the hottest which i haven't recorded yet for this week i took memorial day off um <laughs> The hottest team in baseball, they just coming off their best in terms of winning percentage, best month in franchise history. They went 22-6. and six. They've won 16 out of their last 17. They are in first place now by two games in the American League East. They just took game one against the New York Yankees on the road. And you look at a team that was already the best team in the American League last year. Now they have the best record in Major League Baseball. Uh, they just got better at the things they already did really, really well last season. They have been ridiculously hot at the plate. More, more so, the, I think we knew heading into the season, pitching... Although they had to piece some people together after losing Blake Snell, after losing Charlie Morton. We all know the story about that. But the way that the bats have woken up in these 16 out of 17 games, I think that's the reason why you have a jarring number like like that is because the bats have, have been ridiculously hot as of late. And one of the key cogs in their machine right now has been Rich Hill, who they brought in. He's 41 years old. He's going to be the oldest player in franchise history. I think he eclipsed that this month. He became the oldest player in franchise history. Um 
and he didn't really know what his role was going to be. He was here just to win, and the Rays kind of told him, all right, you're going to pitch maybe as like an opener, two or three innings, or as a tandem starter, maybe come out of the bullpen some days, but after the injuries, after you see Chris Archer go down and Michael Walker go down, they went to Red Hill and they said, like, we need you to be a traditional starter. That was going into the month of May. He had six starts, had a .78 ERA, and picking American League pitcher of the month, my pick would be Rich Hill. He's been absolutely outstanding. The other day, went eight shutout innings with 13 strikeouts. Another great start today against the Yankees. Went five, and he, they, they pulled him after uh, yep. after five innings, 56 pitches, turned the ball over to Michael Walker, who gave two great innings. The bullpen finished it out. Um, but Rich Hill, he is here to win a championship. And to do that at 41 years old, what he did in this month, I don't know if he can sustain it for the whole season. I hope we get some of these pitchers back and, and he has to you know, take on less of a workload. Right. I don't think the Rays are looking great. for him to sustain it at no. the level that he's doing right now. This take is an this IL stint. Money. If I'm Rich Hill, I'm taking a, a two-week <laughs> IL stint. My arm's a little sore, uh, resting up, because if he can do this later in the season, like he could work his way into a postseason rotation for the The, the other name I would look for in, in, in on that pitching staff is a newly acquired guy in J.P. Fireheisen. He has been nothing but... but Lights out from my standpoint. Uh, and they're giving him save opportunities. Yeah. It's like usually if you get a save opportunity for the Rays, you're nothing special. Like they had 13 different guys in uh, 40 wins last season that that got saves. And J.P. Vireisen is coming to the bullpen right away. And it's gotten like every – I know Diego Castillo saved on Sunday. But he's got like every save opportunity. Every time he's come in, I think, save for like one chance maybe, he, he has come in for a save opportunity. And they've got so many guys, including Drew Rasmussen, who they also got in the Willie Adonis trade that are in AAA. Luis Patino's back in AAA. They've still got Brent Honeywell um, and, and, and a number of other guys that are going to come up and pitch innings for the big league team this year. And, yeah, they're they it, the, the bats will cool down, but the team looks – just as legit, if not more so, than they did last year. And another thing that, that I'm looking at and, and why I think the Rays are set up for success is I don't know how the rest of the AL East is going to fare from, from here on out. They, they took four in a row from the Blue Jays, who are sort of scuffling right now. The Yankees look absolutely lost. The Red Sox are, are sort of middling right now as well. They're cooling down. Yeah, exactly. And I think we talked about it a couple, like who would you buy, who would you sell. Uh, I mentioned the Red Sox is one of those teams where I just don't think that they have the arms going forward to, to really – make a huge sustained push towards a, a, a division title like that. Um, speaking of divisions, though, I mean, the NL West, we have another huge series, or we had another huge series this last weekend with, with the, the Giants and the Dodgers. Uh, the Giants taking three out of four from the Dodgers. I, I, with this Giants team, because, um, but you just see so many baseball media personalities and people on Twitter that have huge followings that are just like, talking about how terrible baseball is, but at the same time, they want more people to be baseball fans. It's like, okay, just if you let these Tony La Russa comments uh, die and let them just go quietly into the night, I think I think baseball would be better off. Yeah. It's an interesting point you bring up because I also want to spin that to another sport that had some really big news this last weekend with uh, with tennis in that Naomi Osaka, number one player in the world, yeah. drops out of the French Open because she was asked to fulfill her media obligations and she said... No, for for mental health reasons, I'm going to take this this these last couple of weeks off from the media obligations and, and just sort of stick to tennis um, for the betterment of my own health. Um, and so today she she pulls out of the entire tournament because of it. And and I just want to get your opinion on that. I think I think the story here is media relations between uh, with with players have changed so dramatically since the start of of the pandemic when everything has gone virtual there's no access in locker rooms and this is more talking about like team sports um, it's just completely changed and i saw rick stroud and a couple other sports writers talking about this on twitter um 
there's no chance to have nuance or conversations with athletes. There's no chance to ask follow-ups on Zoom when everybody's just, there's an order for asking questions. And I think, I think that's really tough on both the writers and the athletes. And I, I hope, this is terrible what's happening to Osaki, the fact that she has to pull out. She's one of the best tennis players on the planet, maybe the best women's tennis player on the planet. Having to not play in France uh, at the French Open, uh, it's, it's awful, but I hope, I hope it kind of sheds a light on media relationships between players and, and, and writers or athletes and writers and that it ends up being a change for the good. But I, I really have a sour taste in my mouth that like, this is the way it had to happen. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I, think it's, I think it's bad for tennis that we're having stuff like this happen where they feel that like, uh, the top tennis player in the world feels the need to, to have to drop out because the, uh, the coordinators of the event are, are asking her to do more than she, she really wants to. Um, yeah, it's just a really unfortunate situation. I'm going to try to bounce off of that. <laughs> as much as we can from that serious matter to give you and Sebastian a little time. The Lightning beat the Panthers in six games. I want to give you guys a, a little minute to touch on that with the NHL playoffs. Man, uh, after they lost game five, I was not nervous that they were going to lose the series, but that it was going to go seven. It was going to, there were going to be injuries. It was going to be tough, um, but ultimately they pulled it out and they're off to a good start against Carolina, which I was not expecting. You always want to win at least one in Carolina because Carolina, for me, is the team, the team to beat, um, so that the expectation can fully be um, this team is expected to win or at least repeat um, the Stanley Cup uh, championship. Now, um, this this Florida series that just went by, because unfortunately, it it stinks. I, I said this before the show. It stinks that Gary's here, not because I can <laughs> rub it in, not because I'm wearing my Lightning jersey today, not because I can say, oh, we're smoking that 20, aged 26-year pack today, not because I want to say that in front of him, but uh, just because it's it's honestly liberate, uh, refreshing to be in this position where both teams are competent, both teams are good. We can finally say that there's a rivalry. We can finally say that there's bad blood instead of just being you know, sympathetic for the situation down in Sunrise. Uh, this is the only division in professional sports where uh, a team from South Florida and a team from Tampa play each other consistently. Okay, and every other division and every other major sport uh, that we share uh, professional teams with, uh, we're in different leagues, or leagues or conferences, what have you. Um, yeah, other than the Magic and Heat, which I don't see as much of a no, rivalry I, I, at all. I don't I'll know be completely for that at all. The, it's not really a rivalry. One and number two, like I don't really associate with the Orlando Magic because I'm from Tampa, so I can't give you that perspective. <laughs> Uh, I know, like, the other way around is very common, um, at least definitely more so than, you know, Tampa Magic fans. Um, but uh, for me, it's it's never really been that. Um, right, because I, I, I – going back to the Carolina series here yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, let's go back. I, I understand Carolina beat the, the Lightning in the season series, right? Handily. Yeah. Handily. So I just want to get you guys' read on, on, on the – on where you think this series is going after the Lightning win game one. After Carolina, like the first two games, I think it's going to be split because um, Carolina, you you expect Carolina to have a bounce-back game. The fact that Vassy was able to steal that game when he never really got the chance to steal it, maybe the game... I'm trying to think of the game that maybe he stole in that light. He played great. But he didn't the, steal. The I think were he able to score a lot of goals still. Yeah. But that was the game he stole yesterday. And I don't, think the, I don't think the Hurricanes like outplayed the Lightning. I think the Lightning played great. I think it was very even. But that means, like you said, like the game two could easily go to Carolina, and then it's like Vassy's probably gonna have to steal at least one more game in this series. Uh, it's definitely not over. Yeah, they, it's great that they have the one nothing lead, 
Um, but once they, I, I expect to go to, into Game Five with the series tied two-two. I would I would agree, and I'm glad you you touched on you know Vazzy stealing games and just the general uh, feel of the series because um, the the main thread for the Florida series was volume. Yeah. I, I think every single game had over ten goals, except for the one four loss for Tampa and the O four shutout for uh, for mm-hmm. uh, for Tampa going in games in five game and six, six. Yeah, and, and game six. Uh, apart from that, like that's another game of that I think that like there are, I don't think there are games that Vazzy steals. There are games where Vazzy takes over, where he becomes just this impenetrable wall. Right. I I, I do. I gotta go back. I hate the, I hate when other people use the phrase like a goalie stole a game. Like yeah. okay, goalie's part of your team. He, like if he plays, amazing, he's a huh. huge part of your team. They deserve. If your, if they have basically part of your perfect. Team. Then that's so not stealing if, a game. I hear when like when someone says stealing a game, it's like oh well, they re- didn't really deserve to win. It's like well no, Vasilevsky's one of their players and he was the best player on the ice. Um, so that was a huge reason why they won. Um, but uh, he's gonna have to have at least one more performance like that. It's gonna be close. It's probably gonna go six or seven. I don't see either team winning this in five. In uh, so, to, with that being said, it's also like, does it make it more or le- like not less interesting? But the fact that we have no clue who they're going to be playing in the next round, like it's like you 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 can't look ahead to the Eastern Conference Finals because there is no Eastern Conference Finals. Mm-hmm. I think that makes it kind of more intriguing. I hope they don't stick with this format and with these new divisions going forward. Uh, but it's like you're not looking ahead to oh they're going to be playing Boston in the conference final. I really, no, you could, I, you I, could, I really don't yeah. like the the current composition of the playoffs just because you have situations like Montreal and Toronto playing in the first round. You've got situations like Florida and Tampa playing in the first but round. But that was even the case like last year, where it's like you knew you were going to be playing Boston in the second round because you were the top two teams in your division. Like you knew that was. It's like, I think what Brett, what Brett is talking about is the fact that you could either face off yeah. against the Bruins like you normally would any other year, or you could be going all the way to Vegas, or you could be going all the way to Colorado. After they reseed it, which or, we, we, like if the Lightning in Colorado play in the next round, it's like wow, that should be the Cup Finals. Like that, that, that absolutely should be the Cup Finals. So, so if I want to answer your question, then no, I absolutely despise this format. I despise, <laughs> I, I but does that make it more like exciting that it's like ooh, like we're gonna get through Carolina? It really doesn't. I mean, we could be playing any uh, of these teams. Yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly. that excitement going into the reseeding, whatever. If they decide to do a TV show, if they just decide to release it as a presser, like that's going to be um, like wonder into immediate disappointment if you play call if, if if the lightning play colorado in the semifinals i'm just like phone pack it in like whoever which whichever one of the it's a disgrace that one of these teams is going to have to you uh, know it's, it's cool to have great series before the, the finals we're, we're witnessing I'd rather have one the right great now. series in the cup final right yeah. but we're witnessing one right now with, with the golden knights and the abs who were the top two point getters in the in the entire league this season, like one of them is going to go home, and it's unfortunate, but that's the reality of, of this season. I I don't mind seeing them play right now, though. Yeah, no, it's like we've seen the Eastern Conference in hockey before between the Lightning and the Bruins, who have played. Maybe you could argue that last year, I know the Lightning handled them pretty easily. That the Lightning and the Bruins were the best two teams in the, in the league, and they played in the second round. The Lightning and the Capitals a few years back when the Capitals won in seven. Like those were the, you're going to get sometimes get not the perfect matchup in the Stanley Cup Finals. I do think I do think the the one disadvantage to this is the fact that you could see a cross country trip like yeah. that so rather like the, rather than the East Eastern Conference and Western Conference. That that's what that's what gets me. Where it's like the the fact that the Lightning or the uh, or sorry Colorado and a team like the Bruins, uh, the Maple Leafs or the Lightning could play in the semifinal. That feels wrong. That's just it feels yeah, wrong. No, it's not in a in a, in a it's because we've never felt it before. Yeah, but it, it it's. Yeah, but those games are like cross country games are supposed to be special. Yeah. Just like interleague games in, right, in baseball right, are supposed to be special. 
Well, I gotta I gotta throw one more shout out before we wrap up tonight. Yeah, uh, yeah. The the recruiting dead period is over at midnight tonight. And Florida State football is hosting. 17 recruits on campus as the clock strikes midnight. They're coming into the facility at midnight. They're going to give tours of the locker room. They're going to be out on the field. Uh, seven of those 17 recruits are in the top 200 nationally. And I just want to give Coach Norvell and his staff a lot of credit. They've come in and only had a few months where they were actually really recruiting before the pandemic hit. And they've done, they've put together some serviceable classes, completely virtual. Coach is not allowed to meet with these players in person. Uh, and now that's over, and we've seen the kind of traction they've been able to get. A- A.J. Duffy, obviously Travis Hunter, Sam McCall. These guys mm-hmm. they've got in tow for this next class. And now tonight to see them finally get to recruit in such a, they're calling it midnight madness, is just really awesome to see, and I think a, a boost at this program. Yeah, the needs. goodwill is definitely paying off, and we're going to hopefully continues into into the future come football season. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm actually I'm hating all the goodwill they're building because <laughs> I'm going to go into that Notre Dame game with so much hope. And they're most likely going to See, lose. I'm going into the series with, once again, kind of very low expectations. Um, if there's anything I've learned from both, not only not only in, in college, but also in the professional leagues, is that you got to let managers and coaches build something before you can. Uh, we've made that mistake before. I don't think that Willie Tiger was really building anything. I can't believe I'm saying his name two years removed from his <laughs> his uh, removal uh, from, from his post. But we, didn't, um, we both didn't give him any time to really build anything, and B, he wasn't going to build anything. But um, I just really hope that Norville gets that chance to, to see if he can develop something, develop mm-hmm. a program like you're supposed yeah. to here at Cole. Um, if you go into the season with the expectation of them being in, back to 2014, 2015 levels of success, I think you're setting yourself up for disappointment, a lot of it. All right. Well, we hope so, but that is going to wrap up another edition of Tomahawk Talk on this Memorial Day Monday. From Brett Rutherford here, Alex DePriest, Sebastian Andriano, and Scott Rantler, Scott back in the booth. I am your host, Luke Hazen. This has been Tomahawk Talk here on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.